Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You know it makes a difference who your mother is? It really does. Mothers are very formative in the lives of people. And fathers are also very formative. They both shape us. But the mothers, you know, they're the ones who birth us. In many ways, they're the ones, especially in our earliest years, we tend to be the closest to. And it's important who the mother of Jesus was. But not only the mother of Jesus, but the whole line of Jesus. And we're introduced to the line of Jesus and the genealogies. There are two genealogies of Jesus given in the Bible. There's one in Matthew, which obviously is the, the uh, genealogy of Joseph. It goes all the way back to Abraham and to David. And so what Matthew does is he, he demonstrates who's in the family line of Jesus qualifying him to be the Messiah, the royal Messiah who comes from David's line in fulfillment of all of God's promises to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant and to David in the Davidic covenant. But Matthew does something very unusual in his genealogy. He mentions women. He mentions mothers. And there are five mothers that are mentioned. Now, obviously, the last one is obvious. He mentions Mary, who is the biological mother of Jesus, Jesus was planted in the womb of Mary by the action of the Holy Spirit who caused Jesus, the Word, to become enfleshed. And so he was born of the Virgin Mary. He did not have a father. There was no male contributor to Jesus' biological birth. But there are five women four women before Mary that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's account. Now, in a previous broadcast, I looked at a little detail at two of those women, which was Tamar and Rahab, and then we mentioned Ruth. Now, Ruth is a good woman. There's nothing negative said about her. And Ruth chose the God of Israel to be her God, and she chose to go back to Naomi's homeland in Canaan, leaving her country, Moab, and to be identified with the people of God. So she is a true believer in the true God, and God rewards her by letting her marry Boaz. And she becomes the great-grandmother of King David. Now Rahab, whom we considered before, was the great-great-grandmother of King David. So you could go all the way back to tomorrow, but we won't go back that far. But we have Rahab, the great great grandmother, and then Ruth, the great grandmother of King David. Now, King David is born. King David marries. He marries more than once. But we have a story told about King David in the book of the Kings. And in this story, what happens is that David, after some great military victories, decides that in the mop-up operations, he's not going to go out with his troops. He's going to stay at home and take a rest. And so the story is told that he goes up on his rooftop one day and he happens to see a naked woman on another rooftop taking a bath. 
Now, he's attracted to the woman because she looks very beautiful. And so in his aroused state, getting up from his own nap, he sends an inquiry to find out who she is. He's informed that she is the wife of his, one of his most loyal commanders, Uriah. But nevertheless, he throws caution to wind and sends his attendants to go fetch her and bring her to him. And so Bathsheba comes. She is the vulnerable woman, the wife of one of his most loyal generals. But David takes advantage of the situation. And Bathsheba then submits to his advances, and David has sex with her. She becomes pregnant. So perhaps it was at that time of month when she was ready to become pregnant. But at any rate, as the story goes on, she sends word that she's pregnant by his action. Now this presents a dilemma to King David because Uriah has been in the field. Uriah the Hittite, He's been in the battlefield, so he couldn't be the one who makes his wife pregnant. So David sends for him to come home and take a leave of absence. But he was so loyal to David, he would not go and have sex with his wife or sleep with her at all. He stayed outside, just like his soldiers. So being foiled in that cover-up, David sends Uriah back into war with a command to Joab, his, his general, to put him in the line of fire so that he would actually be killed in the line of battle. Now, that's horrible sin that David commits. He commits it with Bathsheba. And then that child that's born also dies after this action. But after Uriah is declared dead, David marries Bathsheba. She becomes one of his wives. But this is what it says. Then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Every time that these kind of things is mentioned, Bathsheba is associated with her rightful husband, Uriah, whom David stole the wife from. But notice that Solomon is the one born of them. And it's very interesting that when Solomon is born, God gives him a nickname. And then the name is Jedidiah, meaning Beloved of the Lord. Now that should tell us something about grace. It should tell us something about forgiveness. Because though David did these horrible sins, he became very repentant when confronted by the Nathan, Nathan the prophet of God. And we can read all about that in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. And though evil was committed and even a child was born from this Union that would have not have been proper. The child himself became the king after David. Now, the last child. So that's Bathsheba that we're told about. And so we talked about Ruth. I mentioned her before. Ruth, who had come with her mother-in-law back to the land of Canaan and became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So these four women, let's talk about these four women on this broadcast, okay? The four women who are mentioned in the genealogy before we get to Mary. Tamar, who in an effort to preserve the line of Judah that was rightfully due through her 
set herself up as a temporary prostitute in which Judah engaged in this illicit sexual action. A child was born, actually two children, but one of them, Perez, and he is in the line of the Messiah, Jesus. The next one is Rahab, who was a prostitute by profession, but she protects the spies that Joshua sent into the land to Jericho to discover what's going on in the city and if they're ready for the fall or what's to happen. Because she expresses true faith in the true God and hides the spies, her life and the life of her family that gather in her apartment are spared when the city falls. Then we have Ruth, who has become a true believer in God. But so far, all of these women are Gentiles, including the last one, that's Sheba. So I just want us to consider what these women had in common, okay? They're all Gentiles, okay? And they are all who, who become part of the line of, of Israel because they married into the line. At least two of them become voluntarily believers in the true and living God. And so they become women of the faith. And God uses them in the fulfillment of his purposes. Okay? So, though they were engaged in unlawful sexual actions, God still used them. And he used, or their children are in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So we've seen that. Now these women. So why are these women in the genealogy of Jesus? So let's just think about some reasons. We have some commonalities, and then we have some reasons. Okay? So they're all sinners. (laughs) Now the men are sinners too. They're all sinners, but... It's unusual for women to be put in a genealogy. And what women are put there? It was not the women that would be marked as women of faith, such as Sarah, but it is women who are be marked as sinners and known as sinners or people who were outside of the covenants and outside of the nation of Israel, of the Hebrews. Now, this tells us that they are examples of the people that Jesus came into the world to save. The New Testament tells us plainly, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that applies not only to those whose sins are obvious to others, but to those whose sins are not as obvious, to those whose primary sins is unbelief and pride, things of this nature. Though Jesus is descended from sinners, he came into the world to save sinners, but he himself never partook of sin. Now, this is plainly spelled out for us in Paul's writing in Romans chapter 8, and I believe it is around verse 3, when he says that Christ Jesus uh, came in to do what the law itself could not do. He was born in the likeness of sinful flesh. That is, he took on human nature post-fall, but not human nature with sin. This is why he was virgin born. And so he is the sinless but true human who could become himself the sin bearer of the sinners 
by making the sacrifice on the cross in his dual nature as God and human. Okay? So that's the first great lesson that we can draw from this. The second one we says that all were Gentiles except for Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. Now some chose to embrace God of Israel, Rahab and Ruth. Now this tells us that salvation is by faith through grace. It's not by lineage. And this is true not only a reality in the Old Testament, but it is true in the New Testament. And John makes this very plain in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, when he writes that those who receive Christ are born not of the will of man, nor the will of a husband, but they are born of God. Their faith is even born of God. So we are born again by faith. It is through God's grace that we're granted the faith by which we embrace the Savior. Salvation is not by lineage. This is also why the sign of salvation should not be given to those who do not yet have faith. All who believed in his name to them was granted the authority or the right to become the children of God. And notice that these women, even Mary, the mother of Christ, are people who are without pedigree, they're not the women that have standing. It's true. Christ was, was not born in a palace. He was born in a cattle shed. He was born among a poorer family. I didn't say they're not, they're not totally poverty-ridden. Joseph was a carpenter. They had some means, but they were not the rich and the influential. They were common people. These were women without pedigree. And we learn that even though evil acts were involved in the conception of the children that are in the male children that are in the line of Jesus, the evil acts could be turned into good by God's grace and by God's almighty power. Jesus descended from all of these women. He partook of their humanity, their flesh, but he did not partake of their sinfulness. He is the full Human man, but sinless, and who, because he is also God, could become our mediator and our Savior. My, what a lineage Lord Jesus Christ has. And the lineage is one that demonstrates the very grace of God that was extended when Christ was born of Mary. No wonder that when Jesus was presented in the temple some 40 days after his birth, that the prophet Simon and the prophetess Anna spoke of the fact that he would be one who through his own suffering would be for the redemption of God's people. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, born of Mary, this has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. And the next time, remember that you have a true and sufficient Savior who is fully human, absolutely sinless, and who is God incarnate.